Welcome to the Ohio District UPCI Podcast. The following message is titled, Not Done in a Corner, and was spoken by Jerry Jones at the Ohio District Camp Meeting. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about the Ohio District, visit us at ohiodistrict.com. I want to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 26. I'm going to read um, three verses there. Let's back up and begin with verse, uh, let's start at verse 24. Acts 26 and 24. Paul's preaching a sermon and evidently it was not a learned discourse spoken in the dulcet tongue tone of a accomplished public speaker. He must have acted just a little bit like a holiness preacher, a Pentecostal preacher. Because someone in the audience spoke up and as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not crazy, most noble Festus, but but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. And this one I want to preach about a little while tonight. Not done in a corner. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and power. Thank you for its eternal and universal application. Do your work among us. Accomplish, anoint in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. It's good to see so many friends. What a joy to be with you. There are things that empirical observation and experimental investigation simply cannot discover and certainly cannot explain. Not all truth can be discovered in a laboratory. To think so is to be blind to the two true experiences of life. A few years ago, Shasha Sagan, who's the daughter of famous astronomer and anti-religion activist Carl Sagan, wrote a melancholy article about her famous parents. She wrote, my father and my mother wrote books, essays, and screenplays together, working to popularize a philosophy of the scientific method in place of superstition, mysticism, and blind faith that they felt was threatening to dominate the culture. She described her father's hatred of 
and lifelong dedication against religion. He made the comment that it was blind faith, superstition. He meant religion. He particularly meant Christianity that threatened to overwhelm the society. Well, the truth is all true faith is blind faith. Even faith that there is nothing beyond those things that can be seen with the eye or observed in a laboratory is blind faith. Here's the gospel of Carl Sagan and those like him. Someday our civilization will crumble. In the biggest sense, our species will eventually die out or transform into something else. And then, a few billion years later, when the sun meets its own end, all life on earth will die with it. That's the choice. We all have that choice. It's the choice between hope and hopelessness. Between life and certain death. Let me tell you, believing in the Big Bang Theory is no less blind faith than believing that there is a God who created the universe. Neither was observed and neither has ever been duplicated in a lab. You gotta take them both on faith. And since it is a matter of faith and choosing what to believe, I'm gonna choose the faith of hope. I'm gonna believe in a living God. I'm gonna believe in a God who knows my name, who loves me and cares about me. A God who came to rescue me and save me from certain death. I will believe there are some things I cannot hold in my hands or see with my eyes or examine with a microscope or through a telescope. I choose to believe in the supernatural, that cancers can be healed, that alcoholics can just stop being alcoholics, that new beginnings are possible. I will believe not only that God created the heavens and the earth, but that that same God put on flesh and dwelt among us, that he conquered death and he sent his spirit to live in the hearts of human beings. Carl Sagan did not believe in life after death because to him it was mysticism, superstition, blind faith. But hear me, if there is no supernatural and there is no resurrection, then death is just the end. And there's no meaning to this life. There is no purpose to being here. We are sheer accidents and nothing more. And there is no rhyme nor reason. But my friends, I've come to tell you tonight, we are not an accident of some random event. We are not an afterthought, an unnecessary, unmeaningful existence. We are his children. We are his offspring. He created us to bring glory to his name.
And let me tell you something. Christianity, apostolic Christianity, is based on the miraculous. We are not where we are because of intellect. I'm not saying we're stupid. I'm just saying that's not what got us here. We're not here because of skill. We're not here because of organizational ability. We are here because of the miraculous. Because God has intervened in the lives of human beings. God has stepped into history and declared that his presence is near. Paul understood the connection between faith and the supernatural and the meaning of the church. That the resurrection, we are built on that one miracle. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And this is the center of all our hope. Here's what he wrote. In 1 Corinthians 15, if there is or be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Our faith is not just about the here and now. It's not about having stuff, about being happy, about feeling good. God's supernatural power isn't just about a Sunday thrill, forgiving our sins, healing our diseases, answering our prayers. It is bigger than that. It's about the triumph of good over evil for all time. It's about forever. It's about salvation. It's about redemption. It's about crucifixion and death. It's about resurrection and the shattering of the power of hell. It is about everlasting life. But Paul doesn't leave us in the negatives. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man Adam came death, by man Christ came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. It is the resurrection that is at the heart of what has been preached on this campground for 75 years. Paul does not ask us to accept the resurrection on faith, at least not by faith only. It takes faith, all right. But unlike the creation, there were witnesses who saw it, lived it, and left their testimony. Here's what Paul says. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part are alive today 
After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, I saw him. No one alive today saw the Battle of Gettysburg or Bunker Hill or heard the debates that led to the writing of the Constitution. But we know what happened because we have heard from witnesses who were there. And so it is with the most important event in human history. They saw Jesus die. Then they saw him alive. And their lives were forever changed. This is what Peter preached at Pentecost, proclaiming for all time in the first Pentecostal sermon. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Our hope is not in blind faith. Our hope is in one of the most documented events in human history. He did rise again. He is alive. And he lives forevermore. Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, rescued by a Roman contingent of soldiers, and now he stands before Festus and King Agrippa. Festus heard the case, found out it was really about someone named Jesus, whom the Jews said was dead, but Paul said was alive. Paul is invited to present his case. He recounts his life, his meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's preaching about what happened to him. And Festus interrupts and said, you're crazy. You went to school too long. And you're beside yourself. But he said, oh no, I'm speaking forth words of truth and soberness. And you know what I'm talking about. None of these things are hidden. It was not done in a corner. I've come to tell you this Pentecostal truth is not hidden from this world. It hasn't been done in some out-of-the-way place under the cloak of darkness. It is not anonymous. It is not and cannot be overlooked. It was not done in a corner. God put us here to be front and center in the story of human experience. Jesus, contrary to what you've been told, did not sneak out of the tomb and leave it to a handful of disciples to convince the world. The seal of Rome was broken. The soldiers were scattered. Angels were left behind to ask, why seek ye the living among the dead? He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. There is no question. Something happened in 33 AD outside the city of Jerusalem that changed the march of human history. It is happening still today. Scores stood and said right here on these grounds, I met the risen. And Jesus and his spirit came to live in my heart. Somebody ought to praise the Lord right now. 
disciples, they didn't hide. They didn't operate under the cloak of darkness. When the Holy Ghost fell on them, some 120, they were in an upper room. Yes, they were in an out-of-the-way place, but they didn't stay there. They boiled out of that room into the streets of Jerusalem, still talking in tongues. And a crowd gathered, and they witnessed the first Pentecostal miracle. For Jews were there from all over the Mediterranean world, and they heard them speak in their own language, glorifying and magnifying God. And they said, what meaneth this? And Peter stood up with the 11. Oh, we need folks today who will stand up with the disciples and say he is alive. Festus said, Paul, you're mad. Too much learning. (laughs) They weren't quite as sophisticated on the day of Pentecost. They said they're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the 11, said, men and brethren, these men are not drunk as ye suppose. It's just the third hour of the day. But this is that spoken up by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. He preached the first Pentecostal sermon and 3,000 people were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus. Jesus name. They just still didn't lock it up in an upper room or in a cathedral or in a church house. Peter and John went to the beautiful gate and they saw a lame man that everybody knew. Everybody had seen him there day in and day out begging for a few alms. And Peter said, silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and walk and he grabbed him by the hand and he jerked him up and immediately a miracle of healing happened his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leaping and praising God entered the temple Peter preached the second Pentecostal message made. And 5,000 were filled with the Holy Ghost. Many of them were priests. I'm telling you, they didn't hide. 
They weren't ashamed. They weren't afraid. Thank God for a 3 a.m. service and the sheriff showing up and saying, you got to shut it down. And the superintendent said, not me. You can shut it down. And when he walked in here, I don't know what he thought. Nobody knows what he thought. But I kind of suspect he looked at that and said, I'm not touching that one. I'm going to the house. God was at work. And that same God that the disciples knew is alive and well today. When Paul started his ministry, everywhere he went, there was revival or riot. And often both. Earthquakes, open jail cells, shipwrecks, claim no lives, venomous snakes lost their poison, and revival came to Rome itself. Because no, Agrippa, this thing was not done in a corner. We've never been afraid to stand up in the broad daylight and proclaim that our God, the living God, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We've come with miraculous power, not with works of righteousness. That's not what saves us, but it is by his mercy. It is by his spirit. Hear this preacher. The devil is not afraid of an educated church. The devil's not afraid of a sophisticated church. The devil's not afraid of a rich church, but he is scared to death of a supernatural church where the miraculous is every day where the supernatural is ordinary. <laughs> Not done in the corner. Oh, no, 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 no. Not done in the corner. And neither was the 20th century outpouring when the Holy Ghost began falling. Not done in a corner. What happened in Topeka was soon broadcast across the Midwest. Revival fires exploded in Houston, Texas. And soon all of Southeast Texas and, and Western Louisiana was ablaze with apostolic revival. It leaped to the West Coast when a burning ember who did not yet himself have the Holy Ghost. Named William Seymour was invited to preach at a holiness church and he got out there, didn't have the Holy Ghost, but he preached about the Holy Ghost. And they locked him out. Can't preach that here. He had no money to go home. He had no place to stay. So a family in the church said, well, you can stay with us and you can start a prayer meeting on our porch. They actually started in the living room, but before long, the little living room wasn't able to sustain it, so they moved out to the porch. Before long, the head of the house got the Holy Ghost. His wife got the Holy Ghost. Brother Seymour, the preacher, always helps when the preacher gets the Holy Ghost. 
So many people started coming. The porch collapsed. They said, we need to do something. So they found a former church that was once a warehouse and then a stable. And they cleaned it up. They painted it up. And they started having church on Azusa Street. It was not in a corner. The fire that exploded there has spread around the entire world. tell you how we got here. We got here because whole church organizations moved out of where they were in the structure and embraced Pentecost. Vincent Sinan says in only a few months much of the holiness movement in the south had been converted to Pentecostalism. A fellow named Randall Stevens wrote, nearly all the members of the largely southern fire baptized holiness church, the holiness church of North Carolina and the church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee rushed into the Pentecostal movement. Other denominations in the South, including including Church of God in Christ, Free Will Baptist, Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene, the Wesleyan Methodist Church, saw thousands of their members get the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. Between 1908 and 1912 in South Carolina alone, the Wesleyan Methodist Church lost one third of its members. It would take a quarter of a century to get back to its pre-1908 numbers. The Church of God in Christ split in 1907 into two groups. One embraced the Holy Ghost and the other did not. The non-Pentecostal group is very, very small today. The other group is the largest Trinitarian Pentecostal group in the world. People began receiving the Holy Ghost by the hundreds. And then the floodgates opened and they started getting it by the thousands. No, Agrippa, this thing was not done in a corner. No, Festus, we've never hid our faces and bowed our heads and afraid of the scrutiny of the world God has put us front and center oh I love that story we heard tonight of another church group choosing one of our pastors as their pastor giving him the checkbook keys to the building. Just come and preach that message. I did South Carolina camp meeting, uh, Southern California camp meeting a few weeks ago. I met three pastors at least that were there that had been given buildings by a crumbling, fading church group that can't get preachers and have no congregations. That's fine. We'll take whatever they don't want. Churches that were in storefronts on the backside of the poor part of town. Now they're on the main drag with spires that reach into the heavens. This is not done in a corner. Our God is putting us front and center. If you're 30 years old or under, would you stand right now? 30 and under. Don't be ashamed of it. 
Everybody was 30 and under one time. I can't remember it, but I'm sure I was. You are going to see a Pentecost that you will hardly recognize. No, we're not giving up holiness. No, sir. Not us. You can back up, but we ain't backing up. No, 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 no. Not this bunch. Oh, no. And we're not going to quit preaching Acts 2.38. We're going to still be one God, Jesus' name, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy-rolling folks. Oh, yeah. But you mark my words right now, right now, one out of every four, 25% of all Pentecostals in the world are oneness apostolic Pentecostal. One out of four. And here's what I believe will happen. That number will only grow as groups leave the designation of Pentecost because they're no longer Pentecostal and they embrace an empty evangelicalism, then we will stand and you will live to see the day that when the world says Pentecostal, they'll be talking about us. While other groups are going to fade, we're going to grow. While other groups are going to step out, we're going to stay the course. While other groups lose the power, we're going to be a supernatural, apostolic, one God people. I believe in this group of young people the 20-somethings and the teens. I'm telling you, I believe you're the generation we've been waiting for. You're the generation that's going to get a hold of this thing like no prior generation. You're going to be a supernatural generation. The miraculous is going to be part of your experience. It is going to thrive and live in you. I don't even know the time. I better hurry. Please be seated. I had the incredible privilege of knowing personally Maud Heron uh, Lafleur Wilkins. Sister, everyone would know her as Sister Lafleur. She later, in, in later life, after her husband passed, married Brother E.P. Wilkins, two pioneer uh, of, the, of Pentecost in the 20th century. Sister Lafleur told me stories of being translated in the Holy Ghost. Once she was playing the piano in her parlor, she called it, playing the piano. Her and her husband pastored in, uh, in Oakdale, Louisiana for many years. Uh, her husband was one of the first two people baptized in Jesus' name in the state of Louisiana. She was playing the piano, and they were in revival and the pastor, Brother Lafleur, and the evangelist and his wife were ready to go on to church. So Brother Lafleur said, Marty May, we're going to go on to church. You can come when you're ready. She hardly noticed. She just kept playing the piano and worshiping God. They took the shortcut through the vacant lot. There's no way it could have happened. But when they got to church and they walked in, she wasn't back home. She was sitting at the church piano playing the same song she had been playing a few minutes before at the house. They said, what happened? She said, I don't know. 
I was singing, my eyes were closed, I was feeling the Holy Ghost, I opened my eyes and I wasn't at the house anymore, I was sitting here at church. This is the lady that as a teenage girl, she was testifying in a street service in Houston, Texas, and the Holy Ghost fell on her, and she began to speak in other tongues in a forceful way, and when she finished, people began to leave the crowd and need in the gutter and on the sidewalk and received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. When it was over, they came to her speaking Spanish and she had to say, I don't understand Spanish. They said, what do you mean? You just preached the most beautiful sermon about the Holy Ghost and about Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, this is a supernatural church. We are not here by the might or by power but by his spirit I was born in a little town in south central Mississippi called Tylertown my mother's folks immigrated there from South Carolina across Georgia and Alabama and into that section of the country, arriving in 1804. They were always religious folks, most often Baptist. But something happened. In 1915, the town drug showed up in Morgantown, Mississippi, about 25 miles away. He had moved away to get away from his his wife's uh, Baptist folks who kept preaching to him about quitting all that drinking. He moved to Florida, and there was a tent revival going on, and the Holy Ghost got a hold of his heart. He threw his whiskey bottle against a tree. He went in, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Uh, he started a church within six months. After that got established, he moved back to Mississippi and started a a church in Morgantown. It's still there today. Many hundreds of members. For more than 35 years, it was the state uh, headquarters of the Church of God. Trinitarian Pentecost. But in 1920, W. Johnson from Kinder, Louisiana preached in a Trinitarian Pentecostal church in Morgantown. Revival broke out. Three of the churches immediately left the Trinitarian doctrine and accept Jesus' name. It spread across South Central and South, uh, 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 yeah, South Central Mississippi. Many churches began to convert. I'm not talking about a handful. I'm talking about whole congregations. One of my personal heroes, you never heard of his name, was Frank McManus. Brother McManus was an itinerant Church of God evangelist who saw Jesus' name, was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, embraced the oneness message. He came into our part of the country sometime between 1923 and 1925 and started holding Brush Harbor meetings down on McGee's Creek. Not far away was a family. Their last name was Holmes. They had a 15-year-old boy whose name was Arlie. He would become known as A.O. Holmes. Arlie, 15 years old, one day his mother cut her leg chopping firewood. A horrible infection set in. Gangrene set in. 
she began to be delirious. It was quite obvious if they didn't remove her leg, she would not live. He had heard about the Brush Harbor meetings. He didn't hear about great preaching. He heard about a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And this 15-year-old boy that had never been religious people, he prayed and said, God, if you're real, if there is a God, if you do care about us, send somebody to pray for my mother. The next morning, Fred McManus, his wife and three daughters were standing on their porch and said, God sent me here. I'm going to pray for you. They stayed three days. And when they left, Sister Holmes was not only healed, but filled with the Holy Ghost. Her son Arlie got the Holy Ghost. He became an evangelist. His son Joel still pastors an independent oneness Pentecostal church to this very day. Fred McManus knew the miraculous. I hunted down his granddaughter. I wanted to know more about him. My family owes so much to him. He died in 1949 trusting God. Is buried. I finally found his grave. I tracked down his granddaughter. She began, she's a, she's a Pentecostal preacher's wife. She began to tell me the stories said mama talked about and said, mama, it was his great granddaughter here. Her mom, no granddaughter, her mom was a daughter, said she'd tell about her daddy. They'd get in an old pickup truck that he had, an old flatbed truck rather, that he built a camper on that they lived in the back of that old truck and said he'd drive it till it ran out of gas. My God. And he'd pull over, coast over to the side of the road and he'd say, you girls stay here. I won't be long. And he'd leave the truck and he'd go out in the woods and they could hear him praying, now Jesus, you know I'm doing your work. And there's somebody up the road that needs to hear your gospel. So help us get up there. Came out of the woods, got in the old truck, hit that floor starter, and the thing fired up. And he pulled it back up on the road, and they went their way and didn't run out of gas till they got to where they're going. This is not a church that is built on human ability. It is... A miraculous church. This was not begun in a corner. They lived in the spirit. They preached the gospel without compromise. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were marginalized. They were relegated to insignificance. But God put them in the center stage. And this church, this church is about to take its place in the spotlight of a history. We are about to break out. Oh, let's praise the Lord. I feel his power. Oh, I praise you, Jesus. Lift your hand right now. The miraculous God of Pentecost. The miraculous God of the ministry of Paul. The miraculous God of the 20th century is the God that is here tonight.
This is not a time to be satisfied to be seated on a stool in the corner of Christendom, a sideline to a larger charismatic or Pentecostal movement. We are the heirs of the apostles. We are the heirs of truth seekers of all ages. We are the heirs of the pioneers of the past. We sit in a building that a vision saw this night and many nights like it where people would receive the miraculous into their lives. We must not, we cannot camouflage ourselves, blend in, hide what we really believe. There is no such thing as stealth evangelism. We must preach it with love. We must preach it with compassion. But we must preach it. One God, Jesus' name, apostolic, Holy Ghost, heaven or hell. We must not forsake our walk in the spirit, our dependence on the Holy Ghost and the supernatural. We cannot base our churches on carnal business principles or earthly crowd-growing ideas. That begun in the spirit will not be completed in the flesh. But it doesn't have to be the same God that gave them the miraculous is the God that is here tonight. Stand with me, stand with me. We need to get out of the corner. We don't need to be an asterisk in the discussion. And we will do it like they did it. (laughs) Seen some stuff. You've seen stuff. Watched a good friend of mine given the death sentence of pancreatic cancer. They gave him a surgery. They took out pancreas. They took out part of the, the, the stomach, part of the liver. Did all that stuff that they do trying in a desperate last ditch attempt to save his life. Doctor came out after the surgery and told the family I was standing there. They said, we think we got it all. I checked in the microscope. We saw all the cancerous cells and we kept cutting until we think we we got it all. We have hope. We'll begin the chemotherapy. We'll begin some radiation. We'll hope for the best. (laughs) I was pastoring in the area and had a lady in my church that worked The Sisto Cytology Department at Baptist Hospital. Or rather, I'm sorry, Barnes Hospital. This surgery happened at Baptist. But she called me. I had just left the hospital room with my friend. Doctor hadn't come by. It had been four days, five days, something like that. Doctor hadn't come by, hadn't released him, hadn't said a word. He's just been laying there. I'm walking through the lobby of Baptist Hospital. My cell phone rings, and it's this lady, and she says, Pastor, I'd lose my job if they find out I told you, but I'm going to tell you, said, they sent the tissue uh, material from, from this brother. They sent it to us from Baptist because Barnes is a world-renowned diagnostic hospital. They couldn't believe their results, so they sent it to us. And said, I'm going to tell you why the doctor hadn't went by to see him. He doesn't know what to say. 
Because when they took it out, there was cancer. But today, there is no cancer. No chemo, no radiation. God not only healed what was left in his body, God healed the stuff they took out. Because our God is a miracle worker. I was preaching a camp up in Maine not all that long ago, and I noticed while I was preaching there was a big commotion about three pews back on my right-hand side. I didn't know what was going on, but after service, a lady came up to me. She said, I was deaf when I walked in here tonight. She showed me the contraption. I never saw anything like it. It was huge. She said, this is what I've worn since I was a child. I could barely hear, make out anything. Without this, I was totally deaf. But you were preaching and I was kind of getting into it. And said, I jumped up and I started praising God and I started speaking in a language I never learned. Said they told me I got the Holy Ghost. But while I was shouting and praising God while you were preaching, I looked down and the contraption was laying on the pew. It had fallen off my ears, but I could still hear you preaching. And I can hear our God is a miracle worker. These days I'm a college professor. Can you believe that? Me. A college professor. Miracles. All kinds of miracles happen. So I'd be the last to discourage education, but I'm going to tell you, get an education, then get over it. It's not education. It's going to put us front and center. Our churches are bigger than they've ever been, but it's not crowd size that's going to put us over. We're building some of the most fabulous buildings I've ever seen. And I'm joyful. I'm excited. It's wonderful. But that's not going to impress the world. But let me tell you what's going to put us front and center. When the sick are healed. When the lost are found. When the alcoholic is redeemed. When the drug addict quits being a drug addict. When the immoral finds the right road. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the Ohio District Podcast.